Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Retro Encounter, episode 316. Uh, I am Jonathan Logan, so I am probably not the voice you were expecting. Uh, the dulcet tones of Mr. Michael Solosi will be back in a few episodes, but for now, uh, I am here to uh, run us through a, uh, a fun and uh, educational uh, look at Final Fantasy V. So this is going to be part one. Part two is going to be next week. And uh, yeah, joining me, we have three fantastic panelists. First up, we have Audra Bowling. Hello. We have Quentin O'Connor. Hello. And we have Corey Tischbein. Hey there. It's an absolute pleasure to have all of you here. Uh, and I am absolutely delighted to talk about this game because Final Fantasy V is, uh, it's a weird one for Western audiences uh, for a number of reasons. But it's in the last few years started getting some significant uh, recognition as the foundation for a lot of a lot of gameplay that came after it in the Final Fantasy series uh, and in other series, including like Bravely Default, for example, uh, uses a job system just like Five uh, Final Fantasy Dimensions, which I've mentioned on this podcast before, but nobody really knows about. Um, but let, let, before we jump into the actual episode, I'm just going to run everyone through a little bit of the history of Final Fantasy V in the West. So, uh, Final Fantasy V, obviously the final, uh, the follow-up to Final Fantasy IV, uh, was released in 1992 in Japan on the Super Famicom. It was a almost spiritual successor to Final Fantasy III in the sense that uh, there were a lot of, uh, there was the job system, there were a lot of airships, uh, a lot of different ships like that, and uh, yeah, somewhat more, I would say, limited plot and limited number of characters uh, focusing on just four, uh, rather than like Final Fantasy IV, which had a cast of dozens. Um, but here's the thing: we never got it in the West. We never. It was expected to be a follow-up to Final Fantasy II. It was going to be. It was supposedly going to be released as Final Fantasy III uh, here in 1995, uh, and it just never did. And eventually, they actually thought to release it here as Final Fantasy Extreme. But they got nervous because they thought it was way, way, way too complicated. And the job system, it was just too, it, they thought it was just too hard for the West. And they also thought the graphics weren't really good enough. And uh, they needed to teach people more about RPGs uh, before they could do it. So uh, that might be why we got Mystic Quest, which has its fans. Um, but the thing that really got the ball rolling, so to speak, was a fan translation. This is probably the most famous fan translation of all time by RPG-E. And uh, it was the first full fan translation ever released. And yeah, it was, it was good. It was really, really good. Full English game. You could, fin- you could start it. You could end it. The script was okay. It was not amazing. Uh, it was a little bit bland, but it was all there and you could play it. And there were a few other things like the main character, instead of named Bartz, was named Butts, which amuses me as an Ace Attorney fan because... Uh, a character named Larry Butts is in it. Anyway, um, but we almost got the game officially in 1997. It almost got released on PC, but then the deal that Squaresoft was negotiating fell through. Finally, finally, we get it uh, on PlayStation. This is after Final Fantasy VII uh, kind of exploded in popularity. Um, and uh, they were like, oh, we got to get more Final Fantasy on this system. Oh, we have a bunch of them. So they released uh, Final Fantasy Anthology, and for the very first time, it included a brand new translation of Final Fantasy V uh, in English. It had a brand new CGI opening. However, uh, it had terrible loading times, and the script was kind of terrible. It wasn't very, very good. Um, 
which is a shame, but it was the first time we got it. It was the first time a lot of people got to play Final Fantasy V. Now, I would say that its popularity really got kicked off uh, when it got released in the Game Boy Advance in, uh, Game Boy Advance in 2006 uh, because it included a uh, Im- much improved script, uh, character graphics when people talked, uh, a lot of tweaked graphics too, tons of new features. It had a massive dungeon at the end, and it included four brand new jobs. Uh, then it continued with this uh, a few years later after Final Fantasy Dimensions got released on iOS. I guess they decided, hey, this graphic style, everyone likes this. Let's remake Final Fantasy V in this graphic style. And they did, and it looked terrible. Um, but it was released on iOS, and then that version was ported over to PC. So we had a lot of different versions of Final Fantasy V with a lot of different graphic styles and translations. And uh, finally... Finally, they announced the Pixel Remasters, and on November 10th, 2021, Final Fantasy V, what I think will probably end up being a bit of a definitive edition, uh, got released with a completely remastered orchestral score, brand new pixel-perfect graphics, and uh, yeah, it's terrific. I think it's I think it's absolutely terrific. So I just, before we jump into the actual uh, like breakdown, I kind of want to go over uh, everyone's experience here with the Final Fantasy series and Final Fantasy V in particular. So, uh, Audra, have you ever played Final Fantasy V before? And uh, which version of the game did you... Actually, I can just... The Pixel Remaster is the version we all played. But, Audra, what's your history with Final Fantasy V? And you ever have you ever played any of the other versions? No, actually, I haven't played any of the other versions. The Pixel Remaster was my first. That's cool. Even though you have never played it before did it seem to evoke some nostalgia in it with its gameplay and graphic style all that yes it did actually remind me a bit of ff3 yeah which i quite liked so that's it there's there could be a direct line to uh from this to from three to this and i guess you could say from four to six as well um quentin uh how about you have you ever played final fantasy 5 before and which version was it i am like the inverse audra i have played every <laughs> version <laughs> of uh final fantasy 5 okay cool uh and i'm assuming that with that in mind you must enjoy the game because you wouldn't put yourself through that like several times no i hate it i absolutely hate it (laughs) yeah no it's (laughs) it's one of my favorites yeah it's uh well we'll get into that and Corey, how about you uh what is your experience with final fantasy 5 none at all before playing the pixel remaster just like audra yay yeah and your your experience with Final Fantasy in general, like, have you played any of the the older games? I've played I played four for the site in September, yeah. and I really enjoyed that. And I've not played one through three except I think when I was like eight, I played like an hour of two and kind of bounced off pretty hard. Um, but. That is the entirety of my like pre Final Fantasy V history. It's pretty light. Yeah. Okay. I just had a moment there where I was doing math in my head about your age because it was like, how did you play Final Fantasy two when you were eight? I didn't even know Final Fantasy. Oh, yeah. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's called Final Fantasy four, Corey. F- oh no, he does mean Final Fantasy two. Crap. <laughs> Um, well, my experience with playing Final Fantasy V is uh, I played the original translated version for, uh, I guess, for emulation um, years and years and years ago, back when I was a teenager. And I think I've told this story before. It, this was back when like SNES 9X, I, I don't even think it existed yet. I think it was, I think I was playing SNES Z. Anyway, uh, it was very, very early in emulation and they didn't have transparencies worked out yet, especially for water, which made the ships section impossible to play because when you went underwater you could no longer see your character 
or the background. And I knew about layers, but there was something going on with layers. Like if I disabled the water layer, it would also disable the ship layer, which meant that I literally probably spent like two days trial and erroring my way on my keyboard, trying to figure out my way through this underwater section. Uh, that was not fun, but that was how much I was enjoying the game is that I plowed through. Um, and then of course I, I skipped, I, I watched the cinematic. I rented it from Blockbuster video or no Abercrombie video didn't have it. I rented it from Blockbuster. Uh, and uh, I watched the new CGI opening and that blew my mind because it was 1999 and CGI openings were all the rage um, and then, yeah, I played Final Fantasy V for the Game Boy Advance. And so I've played every version of the game. I don't think each version has its own. Can, you can talk about the merits for each version, but we'll, we'll get into that, I think, in part two. But for right now, let's talk a little bit about Final Fantasy V and what makes it special and different from the rest of the Final Fantasy series. So this was the second 16-bit uh, uh, Final Fantasy game. And with that in mind, it doesn't shit i mean it, it looks similar to final fantasy 4 uh the sprites are a little bit more expressive they haven't quite reached their like various poses and things like that that come in final fantasy 6 but they have like laughing and that kind of thing uh but what really i think separates final fantasy 5 from the other two uh 16-bit final fantasy games is the job system which is so much fun uh the job system is you get crystal shards throughout your adventures and each crystal shard gives you a new job and when you uh, assign a job to someone it boosts your stats in certain ways and reduces them in others you can equip certain kinds of uh equipment like swords shields if you're a knight for example or if you're like a monk you can go barehanded and just fight with your uh, bare hands uh and you can learn uh various techniques as you level up your jobs and you can assign these techniques to your empty slot uh, when you start a new job. So you can start creating like hybrid characters. And then the idea is then at the, in the end game, you have your freelancer character, which has no special abilities. And you can then assign two job, uh, two uh, job specific things to that character. So you can like put, I don't know, dual wield on, for example, or barehanded if you want a monk kind of character, but if they think it'd be a knight. So you could have a barehanded monk or a barehanded knight that kind of thing. Um, what was everyone's thoughts on the job system? Did you enjoy it in this game? Because I think it was three had a job system, but I think five is when they perfected it. I loved it. I thought it was a great, I, well, I think it's a great addition. I kind of wish they had more job systems and games. Yeah, yeah. I'm on the I'm on the same boat. I mean, I, I really loved it. It was my favorite aspect of the game. It, unlike just about every other aspect of the game, I mean, it really propelled me forward stronger than like any other part of the game yeah i um i mean i i'm pretty sure it was like the first game i ever encountered that had anything like it because having played it you know through emulation i i can't i don't think i really existed much further back than that but um my first thought like when i i remember distinctly being a kid and being like how come I can turn into something else now? And it, you know, and it, like once it started clicking and I understood that there's this rhythm and like different jobs are good for different situations and very few can just coast by the entire game. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, 
in fact, I would go so far as to say, like, you know, triangle strategy uh, is right around the corner. This, you know, big Square Enix sort of return to Final Fantasy Tactics ogre battle looking thing. And almost everything about it looks fantastic to me. The only thing I'm worried about is it might not have a job system. And I'm like, mm. I love these things. Oh, yeah. The Final Fantasy Tactics job system was also pretty good. Yeah. 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 Final Fantasy does jobs really, really well. Um and I agree with both. I agree with all of you. I think the job system in this game, it's really well thought out. Getting a new job is so awesome because you're like, oh, I get to try this out. And occasionally you get like amazing skills. And then sometimes you get like, I don't know, Geomancer. And you're like, oh, I'm just gonna- <laughs> I like Geomancer. <laughs> I like Geomancer. I just, I will level them up just to get Gaia. And then I will like, okay, you go into way now. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of my thing with Mystic Knight. I think I've gotten ah. it to level six. Yeah, I feel like Mystic Knight is a very useful character for boss fights, but for like, if you're trying to plow through just random encounters, it can be a bit of a slog because you have mm-hmm. to like cast it on yourself and you have to fight with it. So it's just an extra step. Yeah. Mm. Um, another thing about Final Fantasy V is that it has a considerably more limited cast than other Final Fantasy games, especially uh, Final Fantasy IV where in Final Fantasy IV, you had multiple characters who would join the party and leave the party and supporting characters, things like that. Here you have primarily four main characters in your party, I would say 90% of the time, 95% of the time. And uh, those characters are Barts, or if you're playing the fan translation, Butts. Uh, (laughs) And uh, Barts is an adventurer uh, who travels the world with his beloved Chocobo, Boko. uh, And... I always pictured him as Michael J. Fox when I was a kid and still do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm never going to be able to. Yeah. I, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's him now. Yeah. That's, that's him. Uh, I just always picture him as Michael J. Fox. Uh, Alongside that, we have Galoof, who's an amnesiac with a strong desire to get to the temple of wind, but he doesn't know why. And alongside that, I always pictured Christopher, Christopher Lloyd. Lloyd. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I gotta be honest. I didn't picture them both as Marty and Doc, but I pictured them as like, this is a reunion film. Right. Yeah. It's Marty with like a leather fantasy tunic and Doc decked out in like a little bit of chain mail, but it's basically Back to the Future 4. Yeah. Whenever I hear their, whenever I read their dialogue or hear their voices, I always hear them in those two voices. So that's that. Um, we also have Lena, who is a princess of Tycoon, who wants to save her father. Um, and we have Ferris, who is a pirate captain with a mysterious past. And uh, I don't picture them as this, but just to continue the Back to the Future thing, I'm going to picture them both as the two Jennifers. There we go. <laughs> yeah, Lena's going to be uh, Lena's going to be Jennifer from Back to the Future Part One, and Ferris will be Jennifer from Part Two and Three. Um, so uh, let's talk about the actual game. So it's it starts out very peaceful, uh, very peaceful, very quiet. The world is is very calm, and it's very early in the morning. There's a sunrise, and the king of Tycoon, King Tycoon, uh, is walking out in the balcony to say hello to his Windrake, who's a dragon. Um, and his daughter Lena comes out and says, "Hey, what are you doing?" And he's like, "Well, I there's something wrong with the wind crystal, so I'm going to head to the wind shrine." And uh, he flies away on the Windrake. And then weird things start happening all around the world as the wind stops and the crystal shatters. The wind crystal shatters. Um, at the same time, a meteorite falls to Earth and crashes very, very near Bart's. Uh, and Bart says, oh, I got to you want to check this out? So he takes off with Boko. Uh, and just outside of the meteor, meteor, he finds Lena being attacked by some monsters and he rescues her. And 
she says, I've got to get to the wind shrine to save my father. And then they find, they hear a sound around the corner and it's an old man with no memory. And they say, hey, what's going on? And he says, oh, I, I, I need to get to the wind shrine too. I have no memory except my name. My name is Gloof. Um, and uh, together, the two of them, uh, Lena and Gloof, decide to travel to the wind crystal. Bart's decides to go on his own merry way, which I think is a bold choice to like make a slightly less than selfless Final Fantasy protagonist off the top. But Boko guilts him into helping them. So he reunites with them and they need to figure out how to get to the wind shrine without uh, the wind. So they, they're not going to be able to sail. But then on the horizon, they see a ship and it is bizarrely traveling without the wind. Um, so let's talk about the opening of the game. So that was how with the shattering of the wind crystal, uh, how do you feel the game really opened? Like do you, compared to other Final Fantasy games, especially? I liked how it was much more lighthearted than just about any other Final Fantasy game I played. Um, I mean, the dialogue was often pretty hilarious. There wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of backstory, which was also surprising. Like you kind of just got thrown in, you met people, they all got meshed together. And, you know, a couple scenes later, they're all on a quest. Um, that was a, kind of a stark difference from Final Fantasy IV, which I just played, which is like this, you know, character driven epic. Yeah. Yeah. The, there's a, there's a bit of a difference between the, the early morning and the airships flying through the air. I am going to find myself saying this multiple times throughout both these episodes. <laughs> so I apologize in advance. It's going to get kind of old hat. But, um, when I think about the first, like, you know, half hour, hour, whatever, of Final Fantasy V, I feel like the very spirit of the game, um, which is adventure, just the sense of adventure, that I feel I feel like FF5 pulls that off even better than possibly every other game in the series. And adventure is like this integral aspect of, of Final Fantasy. But when you have this, like, you know, sort of happy-go-lucky, carefree protagonist on his, you know, his trusty steed, bird chocobo um and he's just kind of like you know well you two sure seem like you're in the you know all right peace out and then he's just like well okay you know and then like you know and it's like the start and then you know with the ship and what comes up after that and um just everything about the game you know it's like this cozy like beginning of a D campaign there where it's just like mm. who are you who are you who are you i don't know who i am who are you um and then it, it starts to, oh, I hate myself for saying this, but it starts to crystallize, you know? And, <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. Yeah, I really liked the opening. I felt it was a different feeling from how most Final Fantasies I've played have started. So I really liked it. And I do agree it captures that sense of adventure really well. I agree. Uh, Quentin, I think that what you said, yeah, the sense of adventure. You're right. It is very, very uh, D&D opening where it's just kind of like, very low stakes off the top. And it's just like a bunch of people that kind of come together and they're like, Hey, let's travel together. Uh, rather than final fantasy four, which started with like someone under depressed under the burden of duty or final fantasy six, which started with someone who had no, uh, had, had, they were basically, uh, they were wearing the slave crown. They couldn't, they couldn't do anything. Uh, and uh, final fantasy two. Yes. Final fantasy two <laughs> or where they, for the four of them are, uh, attacked <laughs> by the, yeah, evil the, army. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then yeah. they fall in with the rebels, etc. Whereas this is just a bunch bunch of people, and they're hanging out, and they're they're going on an adventure to the wind shrine. Yeah, um, I think it. <laughs> I think it's a very effective opening. Um, and also, you're right. There's not a lot of backstory here. Uh, actually, there's not a lot of backstory throughout the entire game, to be honest. Uh, which makes it which it's it's a very different take as compared to Final Fantasy four and six. 
um, Final Fantasy V tends to be much more mechanics-based than story-based. That's not saying it is a bad story, but it is a different way to go about a Final Fantasy game, and that has its fans. So let's continue. Uh, so they, uh, they're they going to look for this ship, and uh, they see this ship docks just outside of a cave. So they enter the cave, and they discover pirates, and the pirates have this ship. So in a spectacularly stupid attempt to steal a boat, uh, they're immediately all captured by the captain of the ship named Ferris. Uh, Ferris is a very... Uh, you know, rough and tumble, kind of like our captain pirate, depending on which translation you play, they really actually are our pirate. Um, whereas oh, in this yeah, version, that's right. Yeah, the older ones are just like, our is like all they say. Dar matey. Whereas this one, uh, this version of Ferris is much more, uh, a little bit less of a character. Um, and uh, Ferris eventually discovers why they want to go to the Wind Shrine and changes their mind and decides to help them. Uh, instead of, you know, I guess making them walk the plank. And the, the other pirates are like baffled. They're like, why would you do this, Cap? And Ferris is like, because I'm the captain. Reasons. Um, <laughs> and they discover that the this pirate ship is, quote unquote, powered by a sea beast named uh, Sidra. Uh, Sildra. That's it. Uh, sea beast named Sildra. I guess everyone kind of, it's like all Final Fantasy games, the pronunciation of various names is in your head, really. <laughs> um, Sildra. And uh, Sildra is just kind of like dragging the ship uh, behind her. Um, so the, the crew, they all, the crew and the, our party, they go to a nearby town of tool to stock up. The pirates go to the pub and Ferris goes to sleep in a room in the pub. And, uh, Bartz and Gloof both check in on Ferris and they find Ferris sleeping. And they both notice that Ferris is incredibly beautiful. And the two are just like, Oh my God. <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs> And it's a it's a funny little scene. And then uh, Ferris tells the pirates that uh, they are going to be left behind. And then the party continues to the Wind Crystal. So first off, I got to admit that I this this is kind of this is horrible to say. I found that the lack of gay panic from Bart's and Galoof in this section quite refreshing. That both of them they weren't embarrassed, like they weren't like horrified by the fact that they found Ferris beautiful. Uh, they just were like, oh my god, they just so stunning. Um, I found that quite refreshing, that uh, that take, especially for like 1992. Yeah, I was kind of curious about what it's like with the original translate, uh, not the original translation, I guess in Japanese. Japanese. Like, I don't know how that played out uh, kind of originally versus in the Pixel remaster, but I would say the same thing. I was kind of holding my breath once I realized what was going on and I was frankly kind of nervous i didn't have it in me for any homophobia that day so i was like can mm. we just can we yeah. just have this be easy and it was and i was yeah. honestly very thankful yep it was just like oh here we go 1992 classic oh no nope. <laughs> they are just they just think that ferris is really hot okay cool I have the funniest little like recurring relationship with that scene every time a new version comes out and i get ready to play it I think my brain just refuses to believe that a 1992 JRPG would handle it okay. And I brace for it. And I think it's going to be worse than it is. And then I realize that these two, you know, uh, male presenting characters are just kind of like, oh, it's like Cloud Strife. And then they walk out and like, you know, and I'm just kind of like blown away. Like, did they forget to add something here? Or is this actually decent? <laughs> you know? Yes. And also... Not for nothing, they don't... I'm just going to spoil it here because, I mean, if you're listening to this, you probably already played the game. Ferris is a uh, is revealed to be a woman and the sister of Lena. 
But at this stage, neither one knows that. And there is a scene later on where neither of them even suspect that Ferris is a woman. They still think that Ferris is a guy and it doesn't affect their relationship with Ferris at all, uh, which is uh, really interesting. Yep. Especially again for the time. Yeah, I um, thought it was really a neat scene. That's kind of nice. Well, anyway, after that, you leave Tool and you head off to get the uh, wind crystal or to find out what happened to it. So you arrive at the wind shrine and this is your first dungeon and you climb the dungeon and at the top, the, the crystal is shattered and you get your jobs, which is awesome. So these are the, this is the point where you get your first jobs and they are knight, monk, thief, white mage, black mage, blue mage. So uh, obviously fans of Final Fantasy will recognize at the very least the first five jobs um, as classic Final Fantasy and just generally speaking RPG archetypes and the Blue Mage, which is a, a very unique class. Um, so let's let's talk for a second about these classes. Uh, what's your favorite in this particular group? Like how do you how do you trick out your party, Audra? Um, I use two white mages and then a monk and a knight. So it's, I ended up I switched to black mage later on in the game, but. At first, I really wanted the healing, mm-hmm. so that's usually my priority. <laughs> I'm sort of the, uh, as Quinton said earlier, the inverse order on this. I like, <laughs> I had like four. I think it was like three or four black mages actually, okay. um, wow. and I was just kind of nuking my way through. The villain never sees that one coming. It's like, oh, you're me. <laughs> Times four. <laughs> well, it didn't last too long because, as you can imagine, I. You know, I met the game over screen pretty quick, but I gave it a few <laughs> tries doing that for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then I settled on where Audra is. I had a more balanced party. Um, but for like some of the early, early boss encounters, especially, I, I did try to use black mages more often than not. I thought the spell effects were just so cool in the Pixel Remaster. Like it was mm-hmm. really oh, yeah. satisfying. Oh, I love the special effects for the spells. They're done so well, yeah. And you just have so many spells to choose from. Whereas like with, I don't know, like Knight or some of the melee classes, you often just had like one ability. Whereas the Black Mages just felt more engaging. Like there were many many more options. Yeah, for me, um, right from the the top, I don't know if I did this when I was a kid or not, but, you know, coming at it with, with the experience and all, right from the top, I like to think, okay, for every crystal, I'm going to be doing like two jobs for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. With Bart's, it's knight and monk, and I like to, you know, kind of switch it up a little bit. Um, with Gallif, it's blue mage and monk, and I like to get, uh, like, the barehanded ability on blue mage right off the bat. So it's like, if if Gallif isn't actively mocking the enemy by, you know, using their own attacks on them, then he's just bludging them in the face. Uh, Ferris <laughs> is a thief and a knight, because I just, I kind of like this idea that Ferris is just, you know, not going to be... A, a pirate? Yeah, <laughs> but something... That's something... what happens. Thief plus knight equals pirate. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, it just fits. And then uh, Lena goes, like, the uber mage route, and I kind of switch between white and black. Mm. Uh, my particular arrangement, I... I... Bart's I made a knight, uh, Ferris I made a monk, uh, Lena I made a white mage, and Gloof I made a black mage. I have to admit, I if I was playing the game differently, like in this particular case, I played it many times before, if I was taking my time with it, I would have experimented with blue mage, but I have to admit, this run I was like, I don't have time to track down all those spells, forget blue mage, and just ignored it completely. But blue <laughs> mage is a delight if you have the time to like track down the various spells, because blue mages learn magic from 
monsters. So if a monster attacks you with a spell, the blue mage will learn it. Uh, and it's a it's a really fun thing. If, if I mean, Strago in Final Fantasy VI was the same class. Um, and in this game, it works really, really well. And there's some really cool techniques you can learn from monsters if you have the time, uh, which I wasn't feeling it at the time because, you know, podcast to record that sort of thing so i I kind of ignore blue mage to be honest yeah i think i tried it for a little bit with lena and then i switched her over to a white mage Mm. it's definitely one of those classes where like it's kind of like um i don't know calculator and final fantasy tactics if that rings a bell for any of our you know listeners it's if you put the time in it and you understand it and you you know do the thing then it can be incredibly rewarding, but it's perfectly fine to get through the game without it. Yeah, if you put the time into it, you become like a monster by the end of it using some of these spells. But uh, it takes some, it takes time to get there. And uh, I think my favorite class of them all is actually Thief. I love Thief is just because of their speed. And I mean, that's a class that you want to master for every single one of the characters by the end game so they can get that speed bo- uh, speed bonus. And I love Scram. Yeah. Actually, Scram was very helpful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Scram was super helpful. And you get the um, Find Passages ability, which is mm-hmm. life-saving during oh, yeah. the end game. Yeah. Um, that's another thing I should have mentioned. Uh, uh, maybe I'll save that for part two, talking about uh, running away from battles has a, has a particular... Unlike a lot of Final Fantasy games, running away from battles or staying to fight all the battles has a actual consequence, which is really, really neat. Um, but we'll we'll talk about that next. That's a tease. Um, so let's get on, let's move on. So uh, we find the crystal shattered. Oh no, it's too late. Blah blah blah. And we now need to try to get to the water crystal because we're worried the same thing might happen to it. To get there, we need a, a key to the Torna Canal, which is a canal that separate that is between goes through the continent so you can get to the uh, Kingdom of Walls, uh, where you can find the water crystal. Uh, so you head back to Tool to the builder of the canal, and after a little bit of a scene where they don't want to give you the key, they eventually give it to you. Uh, you start going through the canal, and you are attacked by a monster almost immediately, and uh, Sildra is uh, unfortunately trapped in a whirlpool and uh, gets pulled away from the ship. And uh, Ferris, who sees Sildra as a sister... Uh, is absolutely devastated by this because they've they're now separated, never been separated before. In the meantime, the ship is now just they're just going on the ocean currents because there's no wind to allow you to travel to Walls. And eventually, you find yourself uh, it, your ship crashes into the ship graveyard, um, where if you were me at like very early teens, you were trapped for quite some time. But now that transparency worked beautifully, it's no problem at all. Uh, so you start traversing the ship graveyard, and this is where you discover that Ferris is a woman, um, or I guess physically a woman. It's there. There is a lot of uh, conversation about Ferris's uh, gender in uh, outside of this game and just on the internet and that sort of thing. Whether or not Ferris is uh, trans, whether or not uh, how they identify. Um, I'm just curious where where do you three come down on that in terms of I was just trying to use uh, gender neutral pronouns just as a default for them. Um, what do you all think? I think um, I kind of try to do the same. I try to say they, them with Ferris. I, I think maybe in 1992 when the game was being written, uh, the language for that wasn't necessarily as widespread. So I would guess that, I mean, I could be way off, of course, but I would guess the writers were just kind of like, she's a she, but kind of likes being a he, you know, and like, and, and that's not really the great way to put it these days. But I mean, I, I imagine that 
that might have been the conversation. And considering how they handled it with with that scene that we mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. they did it quite tactfully and they did it quite well. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I like to say they them if I can remember to. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I could never quite tell what Ferris may have identified as. Like the game didn't make it super explicit what they um kind of where they were in that spectrum. Uh, clearly they were um I think Quentin said it best when um he said that they were um they were a she or they were a he <laughs> who later identified <laughs> as a she sort of not entirely clear. Um so I just kept it safe and, and try to use gender neutral pronouns when I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of my approach too. Trying to dig into the gender politics of a game that was released in 1992 and then only released here in 1999 and then has had approximately 19 different translations. Uh, it can <laughs> be a little bit tricky to talk about that sort of thing. Um, and it's a really cute little scene too. It's again, showing that uh, Galoof and Bart's, you know, despite the fact that they think, uh, Ferris is beautiful. They did not uh, think that they were a woman, and they are like, "Yeah, we're all just gonna get naked and sleep here tonight." And they start stripping, and they <laughs> yeah. and Ferris is like, "I don't want to," and they're like, "Ah, come on!" And they try to strip Ferris, and they're like, "Ah, you know, that's actually an interesting thing, right?" The whole thing about just like this is what guys do. We all just get naked at night together. Hey, how, how come you're not? How come you're not getting naked with us other guys? Like, was this game just unintentionally way more progressive than the people <laughs> creating it realized? Hey, we're all dudes here, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was another. That was another point where they addressed Ferris's um, gender identity, and they they did it really respectfully. Like that scene could have gone dark really quick. And yeah. I didn't think that it did. And then Ferris, at the end, their their conclusion is just like, eh, Ferris is Ferris. Yeah. Well, Which, hey, maybe that's the answer to like the whole question. How do you identify Ferris? Well, Ferris is Ferris. Ferris is Ferris. I do think it's funny, though, that in every other inn or whenever they go to sleep, they're all in the same room. But just in this one single scene, Lena's like, peace out. I'm going to the other room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She gets over that very quickly for some reason. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, you get through the uh, ship graveyard. At the very end, we find uh, a, an undead monster who makes uh, each one of the characters see someone who is very important to them and someone they love. And so, like, Bart sees his mother, and Lena sees her father, and then Ferris also sees Lena's father, which is interesting. And then a little girl shows up with Galoof, and Galoof is like, I don't know who you are. And uh, the... What, it, yes, I like how amnesia is used as a method of defeating a monster. Um, and the monster is like, ah, you've seen through me. And then they fight with uh, Siren and they beat Siren and then they head off to Waltz, uh, that they have the water crystal. Uh, and to get there, to get there, you need a drake. It's, it's, a, it's a big thing uh, where you need to get a drake in order to get to the water crystal. So you need to climb a mountain. And then at the top of the mountain, we discover that Lena actually values uh, the life of a drake over uh, her own because the drake is very sick and needs some dragon grass to heal. And the dragon grass is on the other side of a bunch of poisonous plants. And Lena is just like, whatever, and just like marches through the poisonous plants to grab it and almost dies and is very nonchalant about it. And the rest of the party is like, what are you doing? But anyway, we get the drake, we fly off to Walsh, and we are confronted by a king who will not shut off the machine that is amplifying the water crystal because of the positive effects it's having, having for his kingdom despite the fact that he is being warned of imminent danger. And then we come upon, I would argue, the environmental side of Final Fantasy V, where it's like short-sightedness and uh, inability to conserve 
the energy of the earth is leading to its demise, um, or at least amplifying its demise, or no, is uh, accelerating its demise, uh, which is, again, kind of a progressive take for a video game in 1992 to have. Yeah, it's pretty accurate. I mean, I was actually, I hadn't really thought of it at first from an environmental perspective, and then... The more you play it, you're like, oh. <laughs> well, the the craziest part of it is that it's from 1992, but I think that aspect of the game might resonate better now or more strongly now um, mm-hmm. without veering too much into politics. I thought it was interesting that the remaster kind of came out uh, with very little warning. Um, I mean, it the release date wasn't announced maybe for a few weeks before it came out. And um, I just wasn't seeing this coming. And kind of in late 2021 it it resonated maybe more than i wanted to Um, like i wasn't mentally prepared to grapple with all that Corey, i'm not sure what's political about leaders putting their fingers in their ears and going la 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 when they are confronted with uh (laughs) proof that their overuse of power is destroying the planet i don't know what you're talking about it's the damn shingra (laughs) (laughs) yeah um anyway so conveniently immediately after he's like i'm not going to turn off the machine that's amplifying the water crystal uh, we are revealed with, oh, no, it's about to shatter. And then another meteor shows up completely out of nowhere and crashes near the uh, water tower. Um, and a golden warrior shows up outside of it uh, and knows ends up knowing Gloof. So anyway, the whole gang of them, plus the king for some reason, I guess this king feels the need to lead or to be a, a figurehead to the people, though who knows what the king would, you know, add to the proceedings. They all go to the uh, water crystal uh, and uh, yeah, it shatters. And then the entire like peninsula that the uh, crystal was on starts to sink into the ocean. Um, but the good news is you escape, and even better news, you get new jobs. So we got new jobs. Let's take a look at these ones. But poor Sildra. Yeah, poor Sildra. Uh, Sildra uh, saves them from, uh, I guess, drowning. Um, and then, uh, unfortunately, Sildra used the last of her energy uh, to save them. And then in a heart-wrenching scene where Ferris is like running into the water to save her, but uh, cannot. And Sildra passes and Ferris is, uh, has lost her sister or lost their sister and is very sad. Um, But new jobs. Let's talk about new jobs. Let's focus on the new job. (laughs) But anyway, there's a career change in your life. Ferris, get over it. (laughs) Yes. There's a look at this new, this new outfit you got. It's awesome. So we've got the berserker, the mystic knight, the time mage, the summoner and the red mage. So uh, what were your favorite uh, what were your favorite jobs in this batch? I end up going later with Summoner, but that isn't until actually later in the game. So mm. and then Mystic Knight I went a little bit with and then tapered off. So I wasn't I guess I'm as big a fan of these ones. I really liked uh, Time Mage. I had never played as one before, and a lot of the abilities, um, like haste in this game is really, really useful mm-hmm. as a slow. And yep. I often in at least older RPGs have a tendency to just go for the more brute forcey type jobs, as I kind of alluded to earlier by talking about having a party of black mages. But I toyed around with time mage and you can do a lot of damage. I, I had a lot of fun with time mage. Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, I, I can't get over how good like Galif Galoof uh, looks in, with like a red mage cap. So, like, that has to be him. Um, a jaunty he just, fedora. He just looks so stylish. In it. I love it. Um, I give Ferris a uh, time mage. That's, like, their next, you know, stage that they'll be fiddling with. And, yeah, I mean, like Corey said, 
this is you know some final fantasies it feels like those those debuffs are just kind of there is like this this optional thing that you'll never touch and then you have games on the other end like Shin Megami Tensei and Persona you know where it's like mm. necessary and FF5 kind of veers a little bit more toward the latter and I think the first couple times I played it I was so used to like the the PlayStation FFs where it's you know like a lot of the bosses are just like why are you trying to do that to me lol that I didn't realize it and then like this most recent time I was casting slow on all these bosses stop was working on them I was like okay mm-hmm. um and then finally uh Lina goes with Summoner, which kind of keeps going that like Uber Mage route, and uh, I start leveling up Mystic Knight with Bards. Uh, again, like Mystic Knight, I like the class. I think it's fun. If I was playing the game for fun, uh, I might experiment with it. But I was like, don't have time for it. Need to whack uh, because there, there's just too much <laughs> of a setup for. Her. I just needed. I just needed to get damage per second in. Um, yeah, and uh, so I kind of ignored it. And Berserker is fun for damage per second, but it's also fairly useless because it's so friggin' slow. Um, I love Time Mage. Time Mage might be one of my favorite classes in the game. Uh, it's I so much fun. I play Time Mage. I loved it in Tactics, but I, for some reason, glossed over it in this one. Yeah, there's some there's some good spells there. Uh, Summoner's great, too. I especially like the fact that it can go through uh, walls, which is of use later. Uh, and Red Mage is... <sighs> Red Mage is... A, a, a lot of people jump into Red Mage, and then they hit the the ceiling cap, or the skill cap, which is their level 3... Is it level 3 skill? Yeah, yeah, it's level three. Yeah, which is like you a ridiculous amount of you need a ridiculous amount of JP to get it, uh, and it will eventually grant you double cast. But uh, it's a pain in the butt to get. So I usually leave raid red mage until later in the game, where I can uh, farm JP from uh, from enemies who will be give be a little bit more free with it than others. So we're going on to the fire crystal. So uh, we discover that we can use the meteor. Uh, apparently, another meteor uh, crashed near Karnak, which is the kingdom of the fire crystal. And we discovered that we can use the meteor that crashed near the water crystal to travel to Karnak. Uh, so we do. And once there, we discover that Karnak is apparently being attacked by a werewolf repeatedly, bizarrely. And we also find out that there is a fire ship being powered by the fire crystal. Um, and upon, you know, before you can do any real investigation, you're arrested because somebody saw you come out of the meteor and they think you're in cahoots with the uh, werewolf and you're thrown into prison and in prison you meet of all people Sid yes Final Fantasy V's Sid uh, and Sid is the creator of the machines that amplify the crystals and Sid has been thrown into prison because he said he discovered that the machines were damaging the crystals and that they could be they could eventually shatter um, so you know nothing political about that uh, <laughs> uh nope. Nope. But then th- but then immediately after this is discovered, uh, the a guard runs up and they're like, oh my God, you were right. It's going to shatter. Help us. And Sid is like, if you're going to release me, you got to release these four people that I just met and who could be lying to me about why they're in here. <laughs> and uh, it works. And then you go off and you head to the fire ship uh, in order to get to the fire crystal to turn off the machine before uh, it shatters the crystal. Uh, so you go through this... Uh, this uh, dungeon which is the fire ship uh you end up fighting a boss a really nasty boss too called liquid flame um good boss but uh kind of a pain in the butt in places um you find the queen of karnak who is possessed at the crystal and who is kind of ranting and raving about it uh and uh the fire crystal unfortunately shatters and you're trapped in this uh you're trapped in the crystal chamber but then you are saved at the last minute by the werewolf of all people who again knows galoof 
Uh, and then you have what everyone loves, the timed escape Metroid style escape from the castle, um, which is a lot of fun because you try to get as much, you basically ransack the castle. You're like, it's going to explode. We got to steal everything that's not nailed to the ground um, <laughs> and open as many things as you can. Which really makes you wonder if the town's full for right about you all along. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, you should be in prison. <laughs> uh, and then at the very end of it, uh, the crystals after the, after the entire castle explodes, which I don't think has ever happened in a Final Fantasy game before, just literally it just goes and there's like a crater and like little bits of castle on the on the overworld map. Yeah. But it sends the crystal shards flying and you only get three new jobs, but what jobs they are. Uh, well, what job one of them are. Um, so we get Ninja, Beastmaster, and Geomancer. So, uh, Audra, Yay. how do you feel about these three? Oh, yeah, okay. I like Geomancer. <laughs> You just like puffy pants. Yep. And bells. <laughs> and bells. Um, yeah. Geomancer has a pretty useful ability, Guy, which is it, it, it basically you can... It's magic uh, without MP. Yeah, it's magic without MP based on the environment that you're in. And it can be really, really useful, especially for grinding in certain areas where there are uh, chipmunks who can give you lots of, uh, lots of stuff. Yes. Uh, and there's Beastmaster, which, again, a great class potentially if you're taking your time and are collecting beasts... And I don't have time for that, so nope. And uh, Ninja, which I think is the best class in the game. I love myself a ninja. I love I love all three of these classes uh, so much. I don't know that they're like my top three, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they were. Uh, Beastmaster is awesome, not just for that whole thing with like capturing super powerful uh, monsters, which is huge, but also um, the control ability that mm. clicks in with blue magic. That's how you get a lot of the game's best blue magic. So naturally, I gave that to Galif. Uh, yeah, there's I'm a with, lot of synergy between those two classes. Yeah, I'm with Audra. The Geomancer is just fun, and Puffy Pants yeah. and, and Bells are like <laughs> our Nomura belts or something. I don't know. And um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and Ninja's great. Ninja's just inarguably great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on your page, Jono. Like, I didn't take the time with Beastmaster, and I really should have. I never really gave it a shot. And so a little bit I did toy with it. it. I didn't really do much with it. And I'm sorry, Audra, I couldn't get behind Geomancer. <laughs> except I did like the ability. I forget what it's called, but you can spot um, like holes and crevices in the ground. Yeah, crap. fall through them. Yeah. That was useful. Um, Ninja felt kind of overpowered. And I love Ninja. It felt a little overpowered. Um, mm -hmm. Just, you know, high speed. Lots of crits, high damage, um, and you could throw, I think there's scrolls, right? Like the different elemental scrolls. There's the so, elemental scrolls, and you can also throw weapons. Yeah, and so all of that made that a pretty versatile class. I think I used Ninja throughout almost the entirety of the game. I mean, after this point, obviously. Yeah, it's a great, great class. Um, so... Uh, yeah, the fire crystal is now destroyed and Sid is very, very depressed and you need to figure out a way to get to the earth crystal or more accurately to find out where it is because it turns out there's no kingdom on this planet that actually has it. Um, and to find it, to search for it, you need the fire ship, which is no longer powered and you try to go to Sid to get some help, but Sid's depressed because of this. So you need to find his grandson Mid to shake <laughs> him out of it. Yes. Um, and uh, Mid can be found at the Library of the Ancients, which is a ancient library of all things. Uh, so you, this, this is a kind of level where there's lots of possessed books. Um, and you need to fight your way through the library to find mid at the end of it. And it's funny cause it looks like mid is being captured, is being held captive by this monster that you defeat and you tap him on the shoulder and mid just like, what? Oh no, I was just reading. It's fine. Yeah. Just really into this book. 
Yeah, that was great when he was like, oh, I suppose you did help me. Maybe I'll help you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then you take Mid to his grandfather and Mid beats the living hell out of his grandfather because that's what you should do with your elders when they are depressed, <laughs> apparently. <sighs> um, and then this uh, this elder abuse gives Galoof some of his memories back where he's like, wait a minute, I remember who I am somewhat. And he tells you that your main enemy is Exdeath, who is a warlock uh, from Galoof's world because Galoof is from an entirely other world. Uh, it turns out that Exdeath has been trapped by the power of the crystals and that's why Exdeath is trying to destroy them so he can be freed. Um, anyway, together, uh, Mid and Sid combine their inventing prowess and they uh, get they come up with another power source for the fire ship. Uh, so now you have a ship and you can travel the world with random encounters at sea, which is interesting. Um, but anyway, so you can explore for a little while. You can check out some of the other towns, things like that. There's a little bit of backstory you can find. Uh, and then eventually you head to the Crescent Island. And then once you get off at the Crescent Island, you, your ship sinks. Uh, apparently there's a whirlpool and your ship falls and you're stuck on this island in the middle of the ocean. Uh, but thankfully you discovered that there is a black chocobo on the island. Uh, and uh, the black chocobo can fly, but can only land in trees. Uh, and then you discover that the black chocobo also likes to eat shiny things it finds on the forest floor. And you discover that there are two crystals that apparently he was choking on, uh, including ranger and bard. Uh, so what do you all think about the ranger and the, ranger and the spoony spoony bard? I thought they were basically like the best classes in the game. I don't know if I'm going to get a lot of um, disagreement on that for Maldor or Quinton, uh, but I thought Bard had kind of like low combat stats, but the songs, especially Romeo's Ballad that basically throws stop on everybody, that was a really easy way to cheese a lot of encounters in the game, which mm -hmm. I feel kind of bad about, but I still took advantage of anyway and had fun with. Um, and Ranger was just ridiculous. I mean, I think it's called Rapid Shot, where you're shooting like four yeah. or so uh, arrows per turn. I mean, you could hit yep. some pretty high damage numbers with that. Yeah, there's a lot of synergy there where, uh, I guess in another game you would use a Genji Glove, but in this game, if you combine uh, the ninja's dual wield ability with the ranger's uh, uh, shot with their, uh, I guess, quad shot or whatever it's called, you can hit enemies eight times, uh, which makes you in late game just a god yeah i'll i'll just say um i think this will sum it up on this one uh i've written some like ff5 little strategy guides on the internet before and mm -hmm. if you control f on them and you're interested in which jobs show up the most there are ranger and bard uh for all the <laughs> for so many of the I, boss fights yeah they're just so good i don't know why but when you started saying that i thought you were going to say i've written quite a bit of final fantasy 5 fan fiction and uh <laughs> <laughs> if you control F, you will find Ranger and Bard <laughs> just the same. I guarantee it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going Ranger slash Bard. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't really play as Bard. Uh, I don't mind it. It's it's a fun class. And like you said, Corey, it, it can be broken if you use it correctly. Oh, I just heard a meow. Yeah, the cat's around. That's okay. Um, but Ranger is, if you use Ranger right, especially some of the abilities in late game. You can become super overpowered. Um, let us continue now. So uh, we are now, we've got an a way to get off of the island. Uh, we go back to the library to break the news to Sid and Mid that you've lost their ship. Um, and they do not seem to be that broken up about it. 
Um, and they tell you that they found evidence uh, that the earth crystal was found in the ancient ruins of a town gone, which I just think is hilarious. Um, it's gone. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, so you uh, you need to make your way through a desert to uh, find this, and you need to find an earthworm, a giant earthworm, to do it. And I I can't stand the desert because it's a classic place where there are like slides of quicksand that drive you along. So you need to find the exact right one to get you to the exit. Um, but then when you get to, once you get to the exit, you find you go to Gone and you see apparently King Tycoon running around playing hide and seek with you. Uh, and then eventually you find King Tycoon and you fall into a weird cave um, that looks very uh, technologically advanced, especially for this world. And this is the point where Ferris is revealed to be Sarissa, who is the other princess of Tycoon and Lena's sister. Uh, and that's the reason why uh, they were basically so invested in helping find King Tycoon. Um, just in anyway, case, so just in case anyone isn't aware, uh, besides Jonah and I, I'm not sure. I'm just going to interject and and let the two of you know. Uh, in the original translations, like the early stuff, Ferris turns out to be Princess Salsa. So, <laughs> whoa, spicy, whoa. <laughs> caliente. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, anyway, so you start exploring these runes. It's a pretty cool dungeon. Uh, and eventually you find a transporter pad that sends you to the Crescent Island again, of all places. And when you're exploring this, like, kind of homey, home away from home place, you discover a dock under the water that with a fire ship and an airship. So this is where we finally get our airship. Um, and uh, thankfully, Sid and Mid have followed us on the Black Chocobo. And they, uh, they find themselves in this cavern and they fix uh, the airship up for you. And at this moment... The Ronka runes, or the gone, just underneath gone, I guess, uh, bursts from the ground. And this, it turns out, is where the earth crystal is. So you need to get up to this uh, floating city in order to uh, try to rescue the earth crystal. Uh, to do so, you need some adamantite uh, to strengthen the airship. And this puts you into a fun game of, it, it's, it's a fetch quest, where you have to go to all the meteors and get adamantite uh, to fix up the airship so you get the airship all fixed up and then we end up in a shooter fixed shooter game where like the airship is like you're overhead looking at it and they're they you have to aim yourself at the uh at the floating island to attack the cannons um so yeah then you uh you once you beat the cannons you get inside and the earth crystal is under assault by king tycoon and king tycoon is possessed by the same thing that was possessing uh queen karnak and just before, just before all is lost, a meteorite flies through the air, crashes, and uh, a little girl bursts through the wall and attacks uh, King Tycoon and knocks King Tycoon out of his pos uh, possession. And Galoof recognizes her as his granddaughter, Krill, and he gets all of his memories back. It turns out he's a king. Who knew? <laughs> but then the worst happens and the crystal is shattered and X-Death is free. And X-Death is very eager to kill you all, but then uh, King Tycoon sacrifices himself to save the party and Krill, and it's revealed that Galoof is, was a warrior of dawn, uh, one of four warriors who came to this world to seal away X-Death uh, by the, using the power of the crystals. Uh, and now that X-Death is free, uh, he has returned to Galoof's world, so Galoof and Krill need to go back to their world to continue the fight, and that will leave you all behind. And which is greeted by like, ah, oh, hell no. And then the three person party has to, they have to use the remaining power of the meteors to teleport themselves to Galoof's world. 
and then they promptly get captured by X-Death. But we'll get into that in the next episode. To be continued. So in the next episode, we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, the second world of the game. Uh, We'll be picking it up from there. There'll be more talk of various uh, abilities and things like that. And uh, there's going to be some tragic surprises uh, if you have not played the game. So just before we wrap up this, let's talk. What does everyone here think about the first half of Final Fantasy V? I really liked it. I thought it was a good setup for... Everything that follows. Adventure, 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 adventure. <laughs> See, I told you I would say it. Yeah, no, it's like episode <laughs> after episode, or like D&D session or just some like, you know, I, I don't want to say low budget in a bad way, but like some 90s low budget, you know, syndicated fantasy TV show where it's just like, oh, well, we're going here next. We're going here next. We're going here next. It's fun. And I love it. I love it. You yep. know? Yeah, yeah I, I would echo most of that. Um, it's almost kind of whimsical like lighthearted whimsical so very different from what i'm used to in final fantasy games that it was refreshing for me Mm -hmm. um and i know i said this earlier about how much i love the job system but i I was really taken with it um i i think i spent like 15 extra hours in the first day after the game um just kind of tinkering around with jobs and and that kind of tells you (laughs) my feelings about the game which are obviously Mm -hmm. quite positive yeah i i think it's a really strong first half uh I love the fact, I mean, different worlds is a, is a Final Fantasy staple, especially Final Fantasy four had uh, three worlds. They had the, the actual overworld, they had the underworld and they had the moon. Um, This one, well, I mean, they have at least two, we might find out more in the next one, but it's going to be really cool to go in and uh, get to discover an entirely new world uh, that is vaguely different from the one we have explored in the past. And I agree with you, Quentin, this is, it's much more spirit of adventure. Like when you get the airship, like the whole world opens up and there are a lot of locations in this game that don't really have plot significance. They're just kind of like there and they, you know, you can pick it up and you might be able to get some side quests and stuff from these areas. Like there's a town where uh, you can find a side quest that leads you to uh, Ruma for a summon monster, mm-hmm. but like it's not plot. You don't need to go there. It's just kind of there and you can go there for fun uh, exploring in your airship or in the fire ship or on your black chocobo. So there's a lot of freedom in this game and a lot of uh, less, I guess, I don't want to say guiding, like hand holding, but it, it, it lets you explore the whole world. And I really like that. Um, I got to be honest, I don't think it's my favorite Final Fantasy game. Uh, whenever I play it, I'm always, I always have a really good time playing it, but I always find myself vaguely underwhelmed by the characters. Um, and this time was no exception. Uh, we'll talk about how that might change in the second half. But right now, I'm a little underwhelmed by the characters and the plot, and X-Death in particular as a villain. There's just not a whole lot there. There's a much more interesting villain, uh, in quotations, coming up very soon, who will make an appearance through other Final Fantasy games as well. But uh, yeah, how do you think this compares to the other Final Fantasy games, uh, thus far, anyway? Hmm. I'd say it's probably up there to me with um, FF3. Enjoyable and fun but not maybe quite i mean i you don't have that kind of epic sense of with the characters and everything i hate to do this but i need clarification do you mean final fantasy 3 or final fantasy 6 oh final fantasy 3 okay the actual sorry <laughs> curse actual you weird dating scheme yes okay it's my favorite of the first five final fantasies it's definitely for me personally outclassed overall by several that came thereafter um including six 
but out of out of that first batch, I think it just um I mean there are things that each of the other ones do, you know, that are superb. Like four is more of this like, you know, melodrama, you know, character opera thing. Um, but just pound for pound, I think I have the most fun with it out of out of all those earlier FFs. Mm. Probably say I actually liked it more than four, which is probably strange, but Corey, <laughs> as someone who has just recently played four, how do you feel about that? Um I thought Final Fantasy V was fun, but four, I mean, it was just so engaging and really kept my attention throughout. Whereas five, I think John, how you said this, the story doesn't always, I don't know, really capture much of my attention. The characters, I don't feel too attached to them. Like I like them. They're fun. There's a great sense of adventure, but there isn't that much more. Like there isn't much to look for beyond the surface and that can be fun, but I think I find myself more a fan of the Final Fantasy fours, the Final Fantasy sixes, and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. For me, my favorite moment in the game wasn't even in the game. It was just, it was honestly Galoof telling Bart's that he can't follow him into the other world, and I was just hearing Doc being like, "Marty, you can't follow me back to nineteen eighteen fifty or eighteen eighty five. See, why didn't you, when you were just bringing it up earlier about how Galoof turns out to be a king, I was so hoping you'd be like, great, Scott, instead of like, who knew? <laughs> and you didn't great do it. Scott. I just had, I had great Scott like echoing in my head. And I was like, oh. It was a missed opportunity. But then again, there's a lot of missed opportunities in uh, in this game in terms of characterization. They really should have just made Galoof into Doc Brown. They um, they he existed by then. It was Back to the Future 3 was released that year. He, it was hot. Um yep. Anyway, so uh, this is going to be the end of this episode, but don't worry because that we're only halfway through the game. Uh, there is more to come. So next week on Retro Encounter, episode 317, we're going to be picking it up where we left off. Uh, we'll be talking about the second part of the game, picking up in the next world. Uh, we're going to talk about a little bit more about the job system and like end game jobs and how that all plays out and how our favorite combinations of skills and ability. We'll talk about our end parties and uh I'll talk a little bit about some of the uh, features that were not included in this game. For example, uh, the the Game Boy Advance jobs and uh, the final dungeon, uh, which I have a theory that I have a theory that after the entire pixel remaster is released, that Square Enix might just release the Game Boy Advance uh, content as DLC. I can't be sure about that. I just have a feeling oh, about it. That's a possibility. I think it would be a smart way to get people to double dip. And like if they just sold all of the DLC for all the games. Or they could hold it off for Switch exclusivity. <laughs> yes, because their their track record with Switch, Switch exclusivity is so good. <laughs> uh, it'd be, it'd be, it would have been nice to play this on my Switch. But my PC was perfectly fine. Um Anyway, so like I said, next week, Final Fantasy V Part Two. Uh, then after that, we are going to be having the end of the year. Mike Slosi will be back, and we're going to be doing our end of the year episode here at Retro. Uh, if you have any comments about this episode, if you have any comments in general about the Retro Encounter podcast, you can send us an email at retro at rpgfan.com. Uh, you can also, we're on the boards. Uh, you can visit our Facebook page, Instagram. We have Twitter, uh, Discord. There's Twitch streaming every single day. We have all kinds of things here at RPG Fan, including some other podcasts, uh, one of which I am the host of. So uh, I host Random Encounter. It's alternating Mondays. And on it, we just talk about, you know, uh, what reviews have been up on the site, current news, that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's always a good time. We always have a mixed panel of people and some very interesting folks. 
So we also have uh, RPG Fans Music Podcast, Rhythm Encounter, which focuses on the music of RPGs and adventure games and visual novels and everything in our coverage. And what we do is we each, there's a theme every single week. We pick tracks from various games uh, that match that theme, and then we talk about them and how those uh, songs play out in the game. Uh, we also have our partner podcast, Phoenix Edge. You can find them on YouTube, and they often talk about video game news. Don't forget to review us on iTunes, Google Play, whatever your podcast listening venue, whatever you use. We love feedback, and we love getting stars. So uh, please leave us some stars. Leave us a comment on there. We would very, very much appreciate it, and it would help us get the word out. Uh, so before we close this episode off, I just want to get uh, everyone's uh Twitter and social media out of the way. So Audra, where can we find you online? Audra B at RPGfan.com. And I have no Twitter. No Twitter. Uh, Quentin, where can we find you online? Quentin C at RPGfan.com. And uh, Quentin writes, Q-U-I-N-T-O-N-W-R-I-T-E-S on Twitter. Yes, Quentin writes a lot. Take a look at that byline on the top of his Twitter. It's it's impressive. <laughs> um I'm serious. I'm 100% serious. There's quite a list there, and it is uh, it is good to see your writing get out there. Well, thank you. Yes. And Corey, where can we find you online? I'm at CoreyT at RPGFan.com and CoreyT810 on Twitter. Cool. And uh, if anyone's looking for me online, you can find me at Jono underscore Logan on Twitter. You can find me at JLogan at RPGFan.com. Or if you have anything you want to send off to Random Encounter, you can send it to podcast at rpgfan.com. And uh, if you are worried about the cliffhangers left in this episode, don't worry, because we'll be back before you know it next week with part two. So thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Bye. 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 Bye.